Well, Ken asks this question. I thoroughly enjoy your perspective on the different topics concerning the end times. I was wondering if you could do a video on the fruit we are to produce by being connected to the vine. What is the fruit that we are to produce? Is this the same as the gain that was expected from uh, with the talents that the Lord gave to the servants? How can we be as productive as possible? Thanks, Ken. Well, thank you, Ken. I appreciate the kind words. And, uh, and, and I especially like the fact that you're sort of connected the idea of eschatological discussion and expectation with the idea of, of abiding in the vine. Um, uh, I, th- I think it's a really, really cool juxtaposition of, uh, of, of watching what's going on out there, but always re- recognizing too that God is still doing stuff in here that, that ultimately is intended to work its way out in fruit bearing among the lives of believers. So I, I like that you've got those two concepts sort of intertwined there. And uh, let's go ahead and give that a shot. So let me invite you first off to look at John 15. This is no doubt where Ken was kind of building uh, this this question from. Uh, now, John 15, by the way, uh, is part of the Upper Room Discourse. This is uh, chapters 13 through 17, uh, where Jesus is not spending time in frivolous small talk, but he is investing thoroughly in his disciples as these are the final hours he will have with them before he goes to Gethsemane with them, and then he's ultimately arrested, betrayed, arrested, and led to be crucified. So um, this is important stuff, and the stuff that he talks about during these chapters is very, very important. Servanthood, the activity of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And as we're reading here chapter 15, uh, we see the uh, um, this description of and discussion of what it means to abide in the vine and what comes as a consequence of that, or not abiding and what comes as a consequence of that. In verses 4 and 5, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now that's, uh, that is just a reality. Uh, if a branch is not abiding in the vine, uh, it withers up and it dies. It is ultimately good for nothing. But a branch that does abide in the vine naturally bears fruit. And I would suggest that based on verse 3, where Jesus is speaking to those who are clean because of the word which he had spoken to them, which by the way excludes Judas, he's already gone at this point, so he's just talking to the remaining 11 who are in fact genuine believers. Judas shows his true colors, right? We recognize that he's not. But the other 11 are uh, failure-prone, uh, uh, failure laden as, as any human being would be. They all flee from Jesus when he's arrested. Of course, Peter denies him three times on top of that. You know, they are human. And so they have their failings and all that kind of thing. But there's no question that they really do belong to the Lord. Uh, as a matter of fact, it is it is them who he meets with in the upper room. Uh, the, well, the 10, then Thomas the second time around. Um, you know, he meets with them. He uh, breathes and they receive the Holy Spirit. They're born again and, and all this. So we know that they are, in fact, those uh, who do belong to the Lord, as opposed, again, to Judas. Now, I... I, I say all that because I think that's an important point to recognize in understanding this passage. Uh, Jesus is more speaking to the reality of what is more than he's talking to the idea of how well you're performing. Uh, a branch that abides in the vine is a naturally healthy branch. It is the one that's not really abiding in the vine that dries up and shrivels and is you know, cast off and that kind of thing. There seems to be, and remember, all metaphors break down at some point, and so you can push this too far, what Jesus is saying, you can push it too far than just the basic metaphorical example he's giving. 
Um, the idea here really, I think, has much more to do with relationship than it does with how, how much you're performing. Um, the idea of, uh, for example, another example, this would be the parable of the sower. And remember, parables can be tricky to begin with. And so when Jesus gives analogous parabolic kind of language as he's describing these things, um, we again want to be careful not to put too much into something that may, that may possibly go beyond what Jesus was saying. In the parable of the sower, um, the seed that landed on the good ground bared various degrees of fruit, right? Some a hundredfold, but some sixtyfold and such. And so there was differing, varying degrees of that. And so the idea that they bore fruit was the thing. The others dried up or were carried off or just didn't, you know, bared a little bit and then died off and all that kind of thing. So there's only one of those four seeds that were genuinely believers uh, in, in the story. At least that that's how I would read that. And I think there's something similar here. The idea is not, again, so much to do with how much you're performing um, in order to be um, uh, abiding in the vine, but rather the fact that a branch that abides in the vine will naturally, in healthy uh, response to being to being connected, will bear fruit. So the question Ken is asking is, what does that look like? Is that something like what uh, Jesus told in another parable in Matthew 25, when he spoke about the uh, the rich man who had uh, given various amounts of resource to three of his servants. To one servant, he gave 5,000 talents. A talent is a uh, unit of measure and money in that. And so his 5,000 talents is a significant amount of money. He gave it to this one servant and he went off and, 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 and put it to work and it, he doubled it. Same thing with the one that was given 2,000 talents. Uh, he went off and um, worked, uh, worked that 2,000 talents and doubled it, got 4,000. I think it's very cool that the word talent in English kind of speaks of not money so much as just abilities and skills and all that. There's clearly a parallel that can be applied to that in terms of whatever it is that God has given you. When you pour it into the kingdom, uh, it, it brings a return. And it's the reason why God gave it to you, that you might use it for his glory in that. Uh, however, the, exa- the specific example Jesus uses in that parable is having to do with money. Well, the last servant's given a thousand talents. He, on the other hand, contrary to the other two, uh, goes and he buries it in the ground and doesn't do anything with it. Well, when the master comes back, he applauds the efforts of the, the two guys with uh, the 5,000 talents and the 2,000 talents because they doubled their money, his, his money. They, they doubled the resource that he gave them so that when they returned it to him, they returned it to him twice as much. In other words, a lot of fruit came from this. Um, however, the third guy, not so much. Uh, he instead said, well, I know that you're a hard man and and all this, so I, rather than lose anything, I went ahead and just buried it in the ground and do anything with it. And he is strongly, sternly rebuked by the master. As a matter of fact, in, uh, in Matthew 25, uh, it finishes by saying, um, that you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And, and my coming, I would have at least, I would have received back my own with interest. In other words, I would have at least gotten something for it. Um, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away and cast that unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a statement in there that I think is, uh, is helpful to, to give us a sense of what Jesus is saying in this. Uh, and remember parables can be a little tricky in terms of interpreting. So let me just kind of 
put two possible understandings of this. One is that he's dealing really more with the question of the idea of using that which God has given you, including your financial resources for his glory, um, bringing about much fruit through the through that um, which God has given you, and not really so much having to do with salvation as much as just doing with what God has given you and doing well with it, uh, seeking to do well with it. Um, the other one would be that, you know, and, and this is where I kind of am going to plant my feet on just for a sec, is that the fact that the others not only had the resource that was given to them, but also had the wherewithal to use it. The third servant did not. Notice this interesting way that Jesus puts this. Again, verse 29, for everyone who has, more will be given and he will be given and will be given in abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Well, if if you don't have anything, there's nothing to take away. And so it seems like that first part, he who does not have, uh, even what he has, will be taken from him. Um, It it may, and I'm not going to be super dogmatic on this, but it may have something to do with something much more intrinsic than just the resource that was given to him. The other two seem to have something of an understanding of the relationship with that, 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 the master. This third guy did not seem to even have that. And so therefore, even what he was given was taken away. Again, I'm not going to get super, you know, philosophical or, or, or whatever on that. I'm just saying that there does seem to be something underlying the resource or the production that takes place that is fundamental to that production taking place. Again, hearkening back to the idea of the relationship that the vine has, that the branches have with the vine. When they have that relationship, they naturally bear fruit. These two guys seem to have some understanding of the expectation, and they did something with it. There was a legitimacy to their understanding, as opposed to the third guy, who seemed to be making excuses, who did not seem to really have any sense of what the master's real expectation would have been, or he would have at least done something with it. So there seems to be something on a relational level that's missing with the third guy, much like there would be with branches that are not connected to the vine. Now, to answer your question, Ken, is this is this what it can look like, the idea of God giving you something to work with, again, whether it's financial resource or whatever resource it might be. Yes, I do think that bearing fruit looks like that. I think that um, there's a natural tendency to take what has been given to you and use it for the glory of God. Um, if you're a musician, uh, you'll be like a little drummer boy. You know, you'll play for him in whatever context that will look like. You know, you'll want to honor him and glorify him with your skills. Uh, if you have financial resource, you'll want to make decisions that ultimately glorify him and maybe even allow you to provide for things that he's doing. Um, and whatever, whatever that might be, again, financial skills, talents, again, to borrow from the English version of that term, um, whatever it is that God has given you, using it for his glory uh, is something that is what fruit bearing looks like on the external side of things. But again, remember, though, that the idea of that fruit bearing does not determine whether or not you're going to be saved, but rather or not it becomes a reflection of the fact that you have that relationship. That's why I made kind of a point of those in the earlier discussion, is that fruit bearing comes from seed that goes into the ground and germinates. Uh, Fruit bearing uh, comes from being in right relationship. Apart from him, you can do nothing. So therefore, if you're, anything's going to happen, it's going to come as a result of your being connected to the vine. Now, this is where I, I want to touch on something that I just very briefly alluded to 
um, in, uh, in at the beginning, and that is the idea that when we look at what's going on up there, that's good, and that that seems to be you know that, that's oftentimes our bent when we think of eschatology. But what about looking at what's going on in here? There's something intrinsic that God is wanting to do in believers that brings them to bear even more fruit. Um, and and to this, I would say that that fruit bearing in uh, in the life of a believer, within the life of a believer, not just externally, but internally, I think is something Paul describes in, in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, and when we talk about the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, when God is working within us, the Holy Spirit is actively at work within us. He is seeking to bring about fruit in that endeavor. It's not just what we do out there that is called fruit bearing, but it is what the Holy Spirit is doing within us that ultimately brings about that fruit bearing. And so, if you will, he is bringing about fruit within that we might bring fruit without. And so what is that fruit? I, well, I think if we look at it, it's very plainly spoken to in uh, in verse 22 through 20, uh, well, through 26, but let me just go ahead and uh, start in verse 22. Uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Remember, this this discussion is in contrast to the fruit, if you will, of the flesh. Uh, but uh, the fruit of the Spirit is very much different than that which is the fruit of the flesh, or the works of the flesh, as Paul calls it. And then he goes on in verse 25 and says that if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Again, there's this idea of what starts internally as the work of the Spirit ultimately finds its way out in expression as we walk in the Spirit. Uh, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, uh, Interesting that, um, and I, I didn't look up the Greek here, but um, the word provoke here uh, in the negative sense is what's being warned against because the fruit of the Spirit is all this other stuff, love, joy, kindness, right? Um, interesting in in, uh, in uh, Hebrews, was it 10 uh, verse 25, I think it is, where it talks about joining, you know, in the fellowship of the saints together, that we might provoke one another uh, to love and good works, right? To prod each other in that, the idea of not prodding to bad things, but to very good things. Uh, in other words, encouraging uh, the works of the Spirit and in, uh, in, in our midst. And so, but so I would say that you know, while on the one hand there is a practical thing that we could talk about in terms of what fruit looks like in the life of a believer out there as something that we are about the business of cultivating and pouring ourselves into producing out there while we wait for Jesus to come. Uh, being about his business, right? And uh, we see that expression both in Jesus' uh, description of what he's doing, but also in terms of what uh, his servants are doing as well. Um, but it's important, I would say, I would say every bit is important, if not even more important, because you really can't expect to produce fruit out there unless something's happening in here. We also want to remember that the Holy Spirit is working out fruit within us, and we want to allow him that space to do that. We want to, uh, even as it says in verse 25 here again in, in Galatians 5, if we uh, or in uh, verse 24, those who are Christ's, those who belong to him, this is something that those who belong to him do. What do they do? They, cruci- they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, that's an ongoing thing, right? I mean, we have not once and for all crucified the flesh because... That's impossible. We, 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 that won't happen until we're delivered from this body of death, as Paul himself was longing for at uh, the end of Romans 7. One day we'll get our glorified bodies and that will be fully realized. But we are in the constant state of daily picking up our cross, 
crucifying the flesh and following after Jesus, thereby giving the Holy Spirit free reign in our lives, ultimately, at least through our desire to give that to him, he works within us, right? I mean, that's just what he does. And that is one of the great privileges and benefits of being a child of God, is that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, working in the lives of believers. And that will, of course, again, naturally then bear fruit. And so um, I hope that speaks to it somewhat. I mean, there's, you know, I, I, I can't really enumerate a list of things that uh, this is exactly what the fruit of the Spirit will look like in every single believer's life. Uh, but I would say, though, that um, um, that uh, the idea of of walking with the Lord, a desire to draw close to Him, crucifying the flesh, these are the daily calls as we are continually being sanctified or set apart by the Holy Spirit to the Lord, um, that we can expect the, the beautiful benefit of watching fruit uh, you know, grow and take place in our lives. We will bear fruit as we abide again in the vine, as those who are abiding in the vine. So thanks for asking the question, Ken. And um, uh, I do uh, hope that, again, in some way we touched on it in a way that was meaningful. And uh, if you have any questions or anything you'd like to share, you can do so on our YouTube channel in the comments section. Or if you like, you can also email me at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And we like to answer these questions um, uh, as they come in. And, and I'm still way behind on some of the questions that have come in. I'm trying to get to those, but, um, I do appreciate you watching and listening. And I do hope that, um, that, uh, um, that you find some value in this. So thanks for the opportunity to come together and open the word together. But father, we thank you. We love you and praise you for all the goodness and grace that you've given us, uh, undeserved though it is, but it just demonstrates just how gracious, loving, kind, uh, you are. And we thank you for this. Father, we are fallen. We are prone to uh, go our own way. We we constantly find ourselves doing battle with this sin nature, this flesh that we are still encapsulated in. But one day, Lord, we'll be free of it. One day we will be uh, completely delivered from this body of flesh. Even as Paul cried out in anguish for that day to come, so too we recognize, we understand how uh, desperately uh, he longed for that, because we do too. And we thank you that one day that will be fully realized as we're glorified and no longer have a sin nature to, to deal with or to fight against. So, Father, we thank you that in spite of the fact that this battle does continue within us, your children, who by definition are those who abide in the vine, um, do bear fruit. And we can see that your hand is at work in our lives, and we're thankful that these things can be that which glorifies you in the lives of others as they look at the good works that we've done and glorify our Father in heaven, as Jesus described. Uh, Father, we are sometimes amazed uh, that, uh, Father, this this beautiful gift of salvation that is not of works, but rather is entirely of you, uh, is followed up by you laying out works in front of us that we might walk in them. Thank you for that. Father, again, it's uh, it's it's just a testimony to your generosity and grace that you would not only save us from our sin, but that you would also, even in spite of that we still have to do battle with the flesh, we have the Holy Spirit working within us. We have a new nature. And on top of that, you've laid out things for us to do that can bring you glory, things that you'll actually reward us for later, even though you're the one who laid them out. Father, we praise you and bless you for that. Uh, we do pray that um, we would recognize uh, the value of bearing fruit in our lives, that we wouldn't Take casually the beautiful privilege you've given us to bring glory to you through the things that we do and that we say. 
So, Father, whether you've given us financial resources or skills or abilities or, again, talents, you know, um, um, in one area or another, help us to see those as opportunities to bring you glory, to use them for your purposes and your glory and not to uh, sort of fall into the trap of using them for our own, but rather give us the presence of mind, again, by your Holy Spirit in those moments uh, to use these things for you. Thank you, Lord. We love you and praise you again for all these things. You are gracious and good and generous and kind beyond anything we could ever even begin uh, to understand, much less describe. So we just bless you and thank you. Father, you're awesome. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.